If you have your Bibles today, I hope you do. I'm going to invite you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to say this. I want to say a special thank you to Brother Mike and Brother Curtis for speaking in my absence. And just thank you for continuing to bring the Word of God as we continue to say we don't build this church. This church is not being built upon the teachings of one man. This Word is being built upon the Word of God. And um, that is our desire, our hope. And this morning marks the end of our journey through the Apostles' Creed, um, where we have been walking 13 weeks through this creed and just um, unpacking the truths therein. And just let me just give you a quick recap. Um, the Apostles' Creed, of course, is not found in the Bible. It reflects, of course, the truths of the Bible. The creed was not even written by the apostles, but was written by the early church as a summary of what the apostles believed and, of course, what they taught. Many scholars believe that the earliest form of the Apostles' Creed can be traced back to 120 A.D., making it the oldest of all of the Christian creeds. And so it begins with the words, I believe. So in the early church, uttering those words, I believe, meant identifying um, with the, kind of the, in the closest possible way with the gospel. And it's about the gospel. Let me just remind us this morning. We all have preferences in this room, things that we prefer and let me just throw it out there today. Your preferences and my preferences can't save anyone. Can't save anyone. But the gospel can. The gospel can. It is the power of God to those who believe unto salvation. And so often new believers would recite the Apostles' Creed right before their baptism. They would recite it with tears in their eyes. They would be baptized. Then they would be welcomed into the fellowship of the saints. And as we've said from the beginning, when the early church recited this creed, it was simultaneously their greatest act of rebellion. They were rebelling against the teaching of their day. They were rebelling against Rome. They were rebelling against all the, the false gods and false religions and false things that they were taught and the things that were witnessed before them. They were rebelling. And it was also their greatest act of allegiance. They were joining together. And so the, the picture is that the creed helped new believers and the creed helps us to know the core beliefs of the Christian faith, to know what is important, what we believe. In a world that so desperately needs the gospel, we as a church need to find a way to rally um, together to know what's essential, to know what matters. And the creed helps us to know what matters, what is essential to believe. And 13 weeks ago in the series, we began with the words, I believe. And as we said from the beginning, Christian faith is not about jumping into the light of our own enlightenment, into the darkness of the unknown, and calling that Christianity. No, Christianity is about jumping out of the darkness of our own sin into the light of God by which we are saved. That is the essence of our faith. It's the essence of what it is and what it means to be um, a child of God. And today we come to the end of our study of the creed and to the final word of the creed, which is the word, amen. Just one word we're going to kind of be unpacking today. And just, just think about the beginning and the ending of the creed. It begins with the words, I believe. It ends with the word, amen. And to declare, I believe, means this is how I will act. To declare the word, amen, means this is how I believe God is going to act. So I believe this is how I will act. Amen. This is how I believe God will act. These three words form the bookend of the creed. And what we want to do to, 
And our last um, time together around the Apostles' Creed today is consider that last word, amen. And here's what I know. For most of us, amen is just the word we use when we are done with our blessing or with the prayer. And most of us would then conclude that the word amen must mean the end. So we pray our prayer, the end, and we are done. But just let me show you and, and kind of um, correct us a little bit in, in, in a different way. Actually, amen, the word amen literally means so be it or let it be so. It means so be it or let it be so. So when you're praying and you say amen, what you are literally saying is, God, I believe that you have heard me and I believe that you will answer these things. I believe, God, that you will do it. Or in some strange um, occurrence, you actually say amen during one of our messages. Um, what you are saying is, I believe that what you just said is true. I believe that that is the word of God. Amen is not a throwaway word. It's not a word we just throw away. It's not a meaningless word. It's not like a conclusion as much as it is a I believe. I believe what we just prayed. I believe what was just said. And what we're going to focus on this morning, what we're going to drill down into this morning is that the amen of this creed is ultimately a declaration of belief in a God who keeps his promises and a God who will keep his word. I love the words of Dwight O. Moody who said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true and God never overpromises, and he never underdelivers. God never overpromises, and he never underdelivers. God is true. In fact, the word of God says God is not a man that he can lie. This is the God that we serve. And let me, let me just say this. When all is said and done, you will, you will view this book in one of two ways. You will either view it as only a book of law, and it's just law of things that you've got to do and um, things that become burdensome, or you will view this book as a book of promise. A book of promise and all that God has promised to do. And oh, that we would see this book as the fact that our God is a promise-making, promise-remembering, promise-keeping God. This is the essence of who He is. So with that said, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you to stand. And one more time with deep conviction and faith, we're going to recite the creed together. And then we're going to let it point us to the authority of God's word that is before us. And uh, just see where it takes us this morning. And let me just go ahead and prepare you. This message today is going to end a little differently um, than, than normal. So I know for those of you who don't like change, you're going to let that bother you the whole service. But just, just trust and see where the Lord will take us today. So let's recite the creed and then we're going to read 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20 together. So it says this, and if you can say it with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body and and if we can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 and just listen to this. It says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You that You are a God who will keep Your word. Father, help us to see today the beauty and the power of your promises. Help us to stand upon the promises of God. But the only way we can stand upon your promises is to know your promises. God, I pray that you would just put a desire in every one of our lives, every one of our hearts today to know your promises more than we do and to live by them. We'll just finish this time today, we ask, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So I want you to think about the creed that we just recited together. Underneath the creed are some promises about God that we are banking on. And we're not just banking on those promises just for the next 30 minutes. We're banking on those promises for eternity. I mean, sometimes we, we fail to understand the ultimate picture of what we believe. We fail to understand when we say that God cannot change, that God cannot lie, that that doesn't just affect our now, it affects forever. For if God could lie, then what's to say that in a thousand years when we're in heaven, God won't look at us and say, I'm tired of all of you, go to hell. What's to say that? And the picture is, what's to say it is God will fulfill his word over us forever and ever and ever, that it doesn't stop. And let me just give you a few of the promises that kind of um, bubble to the surface when we think about the creed. And then we're going to use these promises and then jump into to a couple truths today. So let me just unpack just five truths that kind of bubble forth from the creed. The first is that God is bigger than we can ever wrap our minds around. As we said from the beginning, this creed is a Trinitarian creed. It presents God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we've said, define the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. Deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. God is just bigger than we can imagine. The second truth that rises up is that nothing is too difficult for our God. Nothing's too difficult for Him. What we've seen in the Creed is that God is the one who has planned our salvation Jesus has purchased our salvation. The Spirit of God has sealed us in our salvation. Because of that, understand this, nothing in your life is too hard for Him. Nothing in your home, nothing in your jobs, nothing in your present relationships, nothing in your past, nothing in your present, nothing in your future is too difficult for the Lord. We need to understand that reality, brothers and sisters. The one who created everything, nothing out of, out of nothing, nothing is too difficult for him. The third truth that rises up is that Christ is the center of everything. He's the center of all of history. It's all about him. And because it's all about him, we come to understand, we say, well, how is that a promise? It's a promise because Jesus says, I made it all and I'm holding it all together. Everything is revolving around me, and I'm holding it all together. I'm holding you together. I am being held together. The fourth truth that rises up is that all of our sins 
all of our mistakes are forgiven freely, they're forgiven fully, and they are forgiven, get this, forever. Our sins are forgiven freely and fully, and they are forgiven forever. This week in our Bible reading, we read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant who was endured what he did for our transgressions, our sins. But then it ends this way. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the one who forgives us fully and forgives us forever. And then the last truth is that Christ will one day return and get this, he will make all of the sad things, all the difficult things in our lives, he will make them untrue. Not that we will automatically forget all the pain that we have gone through, but I, I believe this, we will come to understand in that day how God worked everything together for good. I always snicker when I hear people say, I can't wait to get to heaven and ask God this, or ask God this, or ask God why he did this. If you've ever said that, let me just say this, one day you will stand before God and your mouth will be shut. Your mouth will be completely, you won't say a thing in the presence of a holy God. You won't say a thing, and, and I dare you to try. You won't, because you will in that day understand who he is, and you will understand who he is, and if you do utter anything, it will be, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that is the beautiful picture of what we have in him. So this morning, what I want to do is, with this word, amen, before us, I want to lay two truths um, before us that highlight the beauty and the power of God's promises to us in Christ. And then we're going to end a little differently. But the first truth I want to unpack together is this. The promises of God are yes for us. The promises of God are yes for us. The Bible is filled with promises um, from God that oftentimes we disregard, that we act like aren't even there. Yet when we think about God's promise in and through the word of God, God pledges that he will do something and his promises aren't flippant. They're not casual. God doesn't make promises the way you and I make promises. When God opens his mouth, his promises are rock solid truths. They are going to happen. And let me just emphasize something this morning in case you've ever wondered. It is not your job and it is not my job to keep God's promises for him. That's God's job. Your job and my job is to trust him and obey him. And as we trust him, as we obey him, guess what he does? He fulfills his promises. He fulfills his word in our lives. And here is the point. When our faith is tested, and in case you haven't figured it out, your faith will be tested. What are you going to anchor your life to? Are you going to anchor your life to your ability? If you do, you will be in trouble. Are you going to anchor your life in the fact that you have some pretty amazing friends? Let me just say this. As amazing as your friends are, if you anchor your life to them, you will be in trouble. Or will you anchor your life to the promises of an unfailing, never able to lie God who will keep his word forever? How do you know that God's promises can be trusted? Here's how we know. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is how we know. 
Let me just real quick, I want to test the educational system, whether it has failed us or whether it has helped us in this room today. So here's where I want to go just real quick. What does the word all mean? Okay, so does the word all mean half? Does the word all mean some? Does the word all mean most? No, the word all means all because that's all all means. So when it says all the promises of God find their yes in him, what does it mean? All of them. Now, of course, some conservative scholars say there's 3,500 promises. Some liberal scholars say 8,500 promises. I don't know how many promises there are of God, but all I, here's what I do know. They're all yes in Christ. Every single one of them are yes in Christ. And here's the beauty. And here's, here's what I know. Here's why it's such great news. How many of you love to hear the word yes? Okay, half of you. The others, I guess you love hearing no. So you must, my life just isn't happy until someone tells me no. And then when people tell me no, um, it makes me happy. Hey, do you have this on your menu? No. Good. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't respond that way. Here's what I know. Everyone, regardless of um, age, regardless of gender, regardless of your background, we want to and we love to hear yes. We love that. We want to hear yes. And so what is happening here is Paul is writing to a church at Corinth, a church that they were wrestling with their identity in Christ. They were wrestling with the assurance of will God keep his promises? And Paul writes to them and says, yes, he will. For all of the promises of God, Christ is God's amen to all of his promises. Christ is God's yes to all of his promises. And here's what I know. There are times where you and I will question God's promises. God, you said this. Is it true? And let me tell you what to do in those moments. Look to Jesus. In those moments where you find yourself questioning the promises of God, look to Jesus. Think about the creed. How can we know that our sins are truly forgiven? It's not by looking at ourselves. It's not by looking at our behavior. It's not by saying, well, I'm trying really hard, so therefore God has got to reward, we, reward we, me with forgiveness. No, if we look to ourselves, we will live in uncertainty forever. The only way we know we're forgiven is we look to Jesus. We look to the cross. We look to the finished work of Christ. In the same way, how do we know that Christ will return and that he will make all the sad things untrue? You know what we do? We look to Jesus. We look to his life. We see that anytime Jesus showed up at a funeral, he messed it up. He messed up funerals. He showed up and dead people lived. He showed up and people that were demon-possessed were set free. He showed up and people who had ailments and illnesses and diseases were all of a sudden healed of those things. That's how we know that Jesus will make all the sad things in our lives untrue because he's already done it. And he will do it in us. Do you want to know that the promises of God are true? Look to Jesus. In fact, listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 3.14, and this is on the screen, but these are the words of Christ. He says, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus calls himself the amen. You know what that means? Jesus is saying, I am the so be it to all of God's promises. I am the let it be so to all of God's promises. I am the one who fulfills them all. In Jesus Christ, God says yes to us through his promises. The question for us is, do we believe it? Do we believe that, that the promises of God are yes for 
us, oh, that we would. Which leads us to the second truth, and that is this. The promises of God are anchors for us. So the promises of God are not just um, yes for us, they're anchors for us. Look at the second half of verse 20. It says this, That is why it is through Him, through Christ, that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Just think about the creed with me again. The creed is bookended by belief. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Amen. I believe that. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Amen. We believe that. I believe that he was conceived with the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Amen. We believe that. We believe that he suffered and died for our sins and for the sins of the world. Amen. We believe that. We believe that he was buried and that he rose again the third day and that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Amen. We believe that. We believe that he is coming again for us. Amen. We believe that. We believe in the resurrection of the body and we believe in life everlasting. Amen. We believe that. We believe that Jesus is is our yes. And just think about this. As we gaze upon Jesus, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, let me tell you what begins to happen. An amen begins to well up in our souls that we cannot keep to ourselves. As we behold Jesus, an amen begins to well up and we cannot keep it in. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. But let me tell you what I know to be true of my life and what I'm um, assuming is true of your life. There are times where I look at God and I say, God, I am not enough. Whatever that is, God, I'm not blank enough. Whatever that is, I'm not it. I'm not enough, God. And in those moments, first of all, I'm taking His name in vain. Because although I am not, He is. And just think about how this works. I come to God and I say, God, I cannot be a good parent. And God says, but I can. I come to God and I say, God, I cannot make it. And God says, I can. I come to God and say, God, I'm so full of doubt. And God says, but I am so faithful. I come to God and I say, God, I am so dysfunctional. And God says, but I am so complete. I come to God and I say, God, I am so deficient. And God says, but I am so sufficient. I come to God and I say, God, I am so sinful. And he says, but I am so gracious. And then I come to God and I say, God, I am at the end of my rope. And God says, that's okay. I have another rope and it lasts forever. This is the beauty of the God that we serve. Do you see? Feeling inadequate is not a hindrance to being used by God. It's a prerequisite to being used by God. If you come to God thinking, God, you did good in getting me, you will never, ever see anything accomplished for the glory of God. You will live your life for the glory of yourself. But when we come to God saying, God, I have nothing to offer you, but all that I have, which is nothing, is yours. God will take you on the journey of your life. And God will put you in places and positions and things that you never expected. And it won't be for your glory. It will be for his. For you will never forget that you are nothing and he is 
everything. This is the beauty of it. As we said a few or last year in our I Am series, I am not, but I know I am. I am not, but I know I am. I know Yahweh. I know the one who is and forever will be. And the promises of I am are anchors for us. I love the words of of C.S. Lewis who said, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. When we consider all the promises of God, God finds our desire for him and for those promises not too strong, but absolutely too weak. We don't believe in the promises of God. We don't live our lives anchored to his promises. Just think about this. Because of Jesus, because of the perfection of his life, because of the sufficiency of his death, because of the the power of his resurrection, because of the certainty of his return, God answers all of our questions as yes in Christ. So let me show you what that means. And this is going to get a little redundant or maybe get bogged down for a second, but please finish with me because there's going to be an answer that's going to begin to to rise up that I pray becomes your answer, that you will just say it with me. So think about this. When we read verses like Psalm 4.1, and it says, Answer me when I call you, O God. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. The question begins to rise up in us. God, will you hear me? God, will you answer me when I call to you? And the answer in Christ is yes. When we read Psalm 1611 and it says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we begin to question, God, will you show me the path of life? God, will you bring joy and pleasure to me now and forever? The answer is yes. When you read Psalm 23, 4, and David writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The question begins to come. Maybe you're in the middle of the valley right now, and we're questioning, God, are you with me? Are you in front of me? Are you beside me? God, are you behind me? And the answer is yes. Yes, he is. When you read Psalm 46, 1, and Korah writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And maybe you are prone to say, God, is that true? Are you my strength? Are you my help? Can I trust in you? And the answer to that is yes. When we read Lamentations 3, 22-23, and Jeremiah writes, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And the questions rise up. God, does your love for me endure forever? Will your mercies really never come to an end? God, will you be faithful even when I am not? And the answer is, say it with me, yes. I think you can do better than that because God has done better than that. When you read Ephesians 3.17 and you read the words, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with goodness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And although this was spoken of Israel um, and their um, promise to be restored, maybe we wonder, God, do you rejoice over me? God, surely you won't sing over me. And the answer in Christ is what? Yes. Yes, he will. When you read Romans 8, 28, or you hear it, and it says God will work all things together for good. 
and you're walking through something and it doesn't feel like it's good. It feels like it's terrible. And you say, God, will you really do that for me? The answer will be what? When we read 2 Corinthians 1, 4, and it says, God, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort will comfort us in all of our affliction. And we say, God, will you really comfort me in what I am going through? And God says to us, yes. When we read Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and Paul says the God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we say, is that true? God says to us, yes. When we read Hebrews 13, 5, and it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we wonder, is that true of us? The answer is yes. And when we read Revelation 21, 4, and it says, he will wipe away Every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. And maybe we say, is that day really coming for me? The answer is yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. They are anchored. We must be anchored to his promises. For they are anchored to his character. What I want for everyone in this room today is for you to believe God like never before. I want you to be a people who trust the promises of God, who are anchored to the promises of God, who rejoice in the promises of God. Maybe you're here and you say, well, how can I trust that God will keep his word? How can I know that God will do what he said he's going to do? God has already answered that. And here's the answer, Jesus. Because of Jesus, God will do it. Again, as we gaze upon the beauty of Christ, there should be an amen welling up in us. The question becomes, have you said yes to God's yes for you? Have you said yes to all of God's yes to you? Do you know, do you, do you know the promises of God? Listen, you will never be able to be anchored to something you don't know. And then what do you do with the promises of God? Are you preaching God's promises, first of all, to yourself? If you don't preach them to yourself, you'll never be able to preach them to anyone else. You begin by preaching God's promises to you. And then as you come to trust God, you're able to proclaim God's promises to others. It's the beauty of how it works. Do you rejoice in them? Here's what I want to do in our, our time um, as, as we come to an end, I says we're going to do something a little different. I believe that every single one of you in here that claims the name of Christ, there is a promise in the Bible that means something to you. I don't know what it is. You do. God does. What I want you to do is in this moment, I want you, maybe it's more than one, I want you to open your Bible or your phone, whatever, and put your finger on that promise. As you're doing that, just open your Bible and whatever that promise is that God is bringing to your mind, maybe it's a few, and that's, that's okay. I want you to put your finger on those promises. And one of the things I want us to see today is that all of God's promises find their yes in Him. And then here's what I want to ask you to do, and I know some of you, this is going to put you out of your comfort zone, and you don't have to do this by any means, but I'm going to ask you, if you're, you're able, if you want to, I want you to to stand or you can just sit where you are and I want you just to recite that promise. And I pray that as we hear them today, brothers and sisters, that we would come and know that 
God's promises in Christ are yes for us. And we are able to, for every promise that we hear today, we're able to say amen. And we're able to do it according to 2 Corinthians 1.20 for the glory of God. We say amen and God receives the glory. So we'll let anyone who wants to just, just start. So you can just stand and just, just say the promise um, of, of God um, that he has given you in this moment. Not everyone at once. God sent his son not to condemn us. We were condemned already. He sent his son for our salvation. Others. Come on, this, is, this isn't dependent upon you. We're, we're, this is the word of God here. Kelly. We delight ourselves in him. He will give us desires of our heart. We trust in him and he will do it. God will act. Miss Nancy? We trust in him, not in ourselves, and he will direct our paths. He will make our paths straight. It's not your job to make your path straight. He will do it. Other promises? Christina? So Jesus says, I, you, you will understand. You will understand and know why I did what I did. And it was for the glory of God. And it was for your salvation. The beautiful thing of, of Jesus teaching us and the Holy Spirit revealing those things. Others? Morgan? Our God will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will go with us. Christina? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord of the Lord is that you are abounding in the work of the Lord. So we're immovable. We're steadfast knowing. Get this. Our labor for God is not in vain. Nothing that we do for the Lord is in vain. Others may miss it. Other eyes may not see it. But... The Lord will not miss one thing that we do for him. Others? Brother Curtis? First John 1 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We have fellowship with each other. We have the forgiveness of God over our lives, Misty. He is our salvation. He is our help. He is our portion. Mike? This promise of a new covenant that could do what the old covenant could not do, where we have the Spirit of God, we have a new heart, we're able to know God in that way. Any others? 
Sarah? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord is with you. Others? Madison? I love this picture of what God is, this promise that we have. We don't have to fear. I don't know, I don't know who that word is for today. You don't have to fear. God is with you. You don't have to fear. You fear him and you don't have to fear anyone else. Don't have to fear. Any others? Larry? forgives us so that we can serve him. We wait for him. The, the psalmist also says that those who wait for him will not be put to shame. But a promise to hold to any others? Brother Curtis? God's word is a lamp. It's a light for us. Any others? Faith? So God will provide for every need. We're much more valuable than the birds of the field, Kyle. So we confess and he forgives us of our sin. Brothers and sisters, do you see that there are more promises of God than there are people in this room? And I don't know what you're going through today, but I believe from the authority of God's word that there is a promise in God's word for you in that situation. What we've got to do is we've got to anchor ourselves to that promise. Even if it doesn't feel like it, even if it doesn't feel good, we say, God, what I'm going through is not good, but you are. And I'm going to trust your word in that. Are there any more? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to call the musicians forward and we're entering into a time of invitation where we say whatever God is telling you, that you would do it in this moment. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we come before you today, and we say our amen to you for the glory of God, for the, your own glory, thanking you that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. God, I don't know, Lord, who, who that, that time that we just had, who it was for. I believe it was for all of us. Reminding us, God, that you are a God who has given us your promises and you are a God who will keep your word. For again, your word says in Numbers 23 that you are not a man that you could lie. You can't lie. 
for what you said you will fulfill. Help us to anchor our lives to your promises. Help us, God, to pray your promises back to you and believe those promises, Father. Not to come at you, Lord, with a lack of faith. Not to come um, at you, Lord, um, praying and not believing. But come, Lord, believing your word. Even as we said a few weeks ago, saying, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Father, whatever each person in this room is going through, I pray that they would, even today, come to know the power of your promise. They would trust, Lord, that you are good and that you are working everything for good and that you have not left us without a promise from you. Just finish this time, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Father's eye, the mystery lavishes on as deep cries out to deep. Oh, how desperately he wants us! The things of earth. 